We move on to Plan B with Rebecca Davis. Hello, Rebecca. Uh, sorry, Rebecca. Don't say hello yet because I pressed the wrong button. I've now pressed the right button so you can respond to my cheery greeting. Thank you, John. I'm, it's me. I'm here. Okay. Before we, and we... I, 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 too, am horrified by the abortion ban, John, but I also just wanted to say that this is perhaps the most final and enduring legacy of Donald J. Trump, who openly... Said, he particularly bragged during his time as president that he would eventually be able to stock the Supreme Court with enough judges so he would overturn Roe versus Wade, which is very ironic, John, because I cannot imagine that he in his personal life has not encountered an abortion or two. But here we are. Yeah, here we are. Before we go back to what is or is not a serious subject, I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> I, I must ask you about the video that you and Haji, your wife, took of yourselves playing tennis, getting back to the courts after a long COVID-enforced break. Is it really as embarrassing as Haji wrote it was in the Daily Maverick 168 weekend newspaper? John, all I can say is I now, I never even considered what it would be like to video oneself playing sports. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen yourself perhaps running on camera. Have you ever seen that? I have, and it's quite a thing of beauty. Is it? it? Are you just like a panther on the prowl? Well, exactly. one can well imagine that. John, I wouldn't recommend it to anyone who's not prepared or in tip-top shape because it was a horrible, a horrible shock to the system. And I now also would never, ever video myself in the act of coitus, shall we say, because I can only imagine that that is even worse. But seeing yourself in physical activity when you're not in physical condition is it? is a thing that will be hard to, to erase from your head. So you're not going to be sharing the video widely then? No. <laughs> no, sir. Is, does the ANC have in its parliamentary caucus a spy for the Chinese government? This is just one of those stories, John, that we're going to look back on in a decade or two and be like, did that really happen? And yet here we are discussing in some seriousness whether it is possible that a Chinese spy has been planted in our supreme legislative power. And the jury is out, frankly. The State Security Agency has denied rumors, I mean, not rumors, a report, of a, le a leaked report saying that Xiaomei Havad, an NCMP sworn in in February, is a spy for the Chinese government. They have categorically denied it. In a way, that seems sort of borderline convincing to me, but in this post-truth world, John, who are we to say whether that was a true denial or a fake denial? I honestly don't know. My feeling is that Xiaomei Havad is not a spy for the Chinese government because she is very obviously a spy for the Chinese government if she is a spy. And I mean that because she is extremely identifiable because she has no known provenance within the ANC because her own caucus members do not seem to have any idea where she came from because her command of English is very poor. And all in all, if one was trying to send a spy into parliament, surely one would do a better job of it. You would find someone who could sort of assimilate better. And yet poor old Chalmay Havad, who I do feel very sorry for, as she seems to be a very nice person, very polite, certainly in my dealings with her, is now being smeared across the country. But, John, I maintain, that should not stop us from asking how this person got to be an ANC MP in the first place. And that is a serious question. Because what we're seeing at the moment is it's actually not easy to get to the top of the ANC list. We're seeing that from the frantic attempts of Duduzana Zuma, who is touring the country, trying to build political support, and is still facing, correct, 
and valid major pushback from branches who are complaining about his very blatant attempt to parachute his way in. We know, in fact, that getting your stop to the top of the ANC list is literally a matter of life and death. We've seen this in places like KwaZulu-Natal in terms of political assassination. So how is it that this woman, who, as I said, has no known documented history within the ANC, who seems to have a very shallow kind of relationship in general within the ANC, has managed to ascend to the top of the parliamentary list when other people who are far better known within the party as activists are unable to do so. The speculation, of course, is that money has changed hands. She has already admitted that she is a major donor to the party, that she's donated about four million rand over the past six years. That just strikes me as being very, very cheap. If that is what it costs to buy a seat in parliament for the ANC, then please, nobody tell the Russians. Or next thing you know, I mean, I just hate to think what could happen if it got out that that was the going price. But I think what needs to happen in this case, honestly, is that the ANC should take us into our confidence and explain who is this person? How did they come to occupy one of the highest political seats in the land? And for her sake, as well as for the rest of us, just put these rumors to bed. And then, um, it's not my favourite um, anti-COVID grouping, but it does seem to be a strong favourite of at least some of my listeners. Panda, I'm talking about. They've come up with a quite extraordinary debating suggestion. They have. And, you know, I don't like talking about Panda. In fact, they once took something I said on this very segment, John, and used it as the basis of a a press report. Now they're going to complain about that, too. I don't even want to get into that. They tie you up in these tedious complaints, which they lose. They hosted, apparently, a discussion in which the subject for debate was, is the invasiveness of the COVID-19 test and the COVID-19 injection like rape? So I attempted to watch a bit of the video that was apparently during which this was discussed, but I'm afraid I had to stop. It was too tedious. It was about Fauci being on the payroll and these terrible conspiracy theories about event 201, and I just couldn't stomach it. So I never got to the bit where they got into the real, you know, meat and two veg about the vaccine being like rape. But for what it's worth, I thought perhaps we should interrogate that a little bit, assuming they did actually take that seriously as a metaphor. Is... The COVID-19 vaccination, let's just stick with the vaccination, like rape. John, do you have an immediate response to that? Uh, One of revulsion, yes. One of revulsion, yes. I mean, I think many of us feel that way. I assume the argument goes something like this. If you don't want to be vaccinated, then being vaccinated involves an involuntary incursion into your body. And that is the basis, I assume, for the rape metaphor. I assume that can only be where it starts and finishes. It is a repulsive metaphor, John, um, one that I have publicly complained about before, and I do not consider myself to be the PC police or anything like that. But in general, we should use rape metaphors with great care. I don't believe in using them at all, John. And what I've written before is that there's two types of metaphors, actually, and metaphorical language is in practically everything we say. We just don't notice it. There are dead metaphors and there are live metaphors. And dead metaphors are ones we don't notice. Because they've been around so long, they aren't literal anymore. Like when I say, I'm going to look you up or phone you up. I mean, up is there, is metaphorical. There's only up about it in reality. Live metaphors are metaphors which leap out at you because they haven't yet been divorced for their literal meaning. And that is particularly the case, obviously, in a country like South Africa, where we are confronted with the gruesome and horrific and traumatizing reality of rape and sexual violence on a daily basis. So it may well be that there is some violent free violence-free village somewhere in the world where they could 
calmly have a discussion about the injection being like rape and everyone would nod and consider it very sedately. That place is not here, John. It is not in South Africa where to make that comparison is really to insult millions of people, I feel. And I don't feel I even have to go into the absurdity of the, the comparison itself that one is the most violent affront to a woman's personhood and the other one is attempting to protect a person from contracting a potentially fatal disease. I mean, it falls apart when you even so much as glance sideways at it. Let's have no more of this, please. Yeah, Becca, I've just got a WhatsApp from a listener that says, I wanted to write a coherent comment to the Panda debate discussion, but there really are no words, none whatsoever. Uh, yeah. John, just one further point on that. You know, I'm actually not a particular believer in mandatory vaccination. I see Discovery Health has said they're going to make it mandatory for their employees to be vaccinated from January. I'm much more of a fan of the approach of something like the US Delta Airlines where they say if you are going to remain unvaccinated, that's totally fine, but then you will pay hundreds of dollars more per month towards your medical aid. I say hit them. I think it was $200 a week they would have to pay, yeah. Fantastic, because you will be putting much more of a burden potentially on the health system, and for that reason, pay. If If you feel that strongly about it, then pay for it. Let us go a little lighter and look to the sanction handed down by a judge in the UK to a right-wing lout. I think lout is the right word. I don't use that word enough, John, but I felt quite good (laughs) writing it down in my email to you. This right-wing lout downloaded 70,000 white supremacist documents and bomb-making instructions. He was arrested on the basis of the latter mainly because he had the components with which to set off an act of terror. He also wrote this screed against gays and immigrants. But instead of sentencing him to jail, the judge in this case sentenced him instead to read classical literature. He said, and I'm quoting, Have you read Dickens, Austin, Start with Pride and Prejudice, and Dickens, The Tale of Two Cities, Shakespeare's Twelfth Night, Think About Hardy, Think About Trollope. On the 4th of January, you will tell me what you have read, and I will test you on it. I will test you, and if I think you are lying to me, you will suffer. So in other words, this is not an idle sentence. This lout now has to go and read the classics, and if he (laughs) fails to pass an oral test on them, he will be sent to jail. I mean, my immediate response was actually one of sort of of elation and euphoria, just because there's something so pleasing about the idea of this clearly like kind of intellectually bankrupt young individual being forced to go and engage with, with, with great literature, obviously against his will. And as I said to you, I'm not convinced that reading Dickens or Trollope or Austin will in fact engender any great love for gays or immigrants. But I love the principle that instead of sentencing people to jail, maybe we should be sentencing them just to read certain books. This is the kind of thing, by the way, that Panda will pick up on and say is, is evidence of a thought police. But I don't care, John. And I wanted to know, if you were a judge, are there any books you would sentence somebody to read? I, I was thinking about it, Rebecca, and, I, and I'm not sure which um, which direction I would take. Do I sentence them to read books like Thomas Pynchon's Gravity's Rainbow, which is largely impenetrable to even a, a, a frequent and avid reader such as myself or James Joyce's Ulysses? Does one take a, a sneaky, punitive pleasure in sentencing them to read the basically unreadable, 
or do you get them to read a book which you think just maybe, just maybe might plant a seed of light and grace in their dark and toxic souls? I think it would have to be the latter. And John, I, I feel like a bit of a hypocrite engaging in this conversation because I have to admit I have never read a word of Dickens and a word of Trollope. So I should probably be taking my own advice here. I was thinking that I would tend to them to read something which I would hope would force them to engage imaginatively with the perspective of another group of people. So perhaps a Toni Morrison, for instance, perhaps Little Women. I mean, I always come back to Little Women because it is such a great classic. You are looking to know about young girls and adolescent girls and that kind of thing and kind of get that perspective. I don't think you could do any worse than read Little Women and try and understand a bit about about that world. In general, though, John, I feel we must take this forward to our own judicial system. <laughs> I'm going to be looking to you for backup when I bring my petition to the court. Oh, I will be there, standing right beside you. Rebecca Davis with Plan B. Thank you very much.